0: I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to John. John chapter 13. John chapter 13 will begin at verse 1. But will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for your love and for your grace and for this privilege now of studying together your holy word. And God, as I stand before these your people, this is Your church. I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, amen. It's a sacred time. Jerusalem is bustling right now. It's just before Passover, and people from all around the world are coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this high holy day. It was the dream of every Jew to be able to come to the holy city, to come to the temple of the Lord, and to be able to celebrate this holy occasion, Passover. A reminder of how God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. An opportunity to remember how the blood of the Passover lamb had protected the children of Israel and inaugurated the great exodus to the promised Land. But Jesus knew this one would be different. He'd been celebrating the Passover since He was a child. But this one would be different because He realized at this one, He would become the Passover Lamb. It would be His blood that would protect the people. It would be His blood that led them out of slavery to sin, us out of slavery, to sin and death, and into everlasting life. The hour had come. It is now. So hear these words from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Now, before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, And tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not understand what I'm doing. But later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. I'm a visual person. I try to picture what was happening in that room when Jesus and the disciples had gathered together on this sacred event with all the excitement in Jerusalem. And we're told that Jesus gathers with his disciples whom he loved. I love the way that John puts it when he says he loved them to the end. He loved them all the way, never failing. He had called them by name to be his disciples. He had shared life with them. They had experienced miracles together. They had experienced so many blessings together. He loved them. The Greek word is agapeo, which is a special kind of love. It's it's a deep kind of love, a love that is unconditional, a love that is unmerited. It's a sacrificial kind of love, a love that will put the other one before the self. And they come together and share dinner. A sacred time. Eating together in biblical times was one of the most sacred things that you could do. It was a way of saying we're family. It was a way of showing acceptance of another person. And Jesus now has gathered with the people that he loves, knowing this is the last time they will eat together. It was a U-shaped table where the disciples were joined together with Jesus. Sometimes we're so used to seeing the image of Jesus in the middle with the disciples on each side. But it was a U-shaped table. You would have the host in the second seat so that there are two places of honor along the side coming around. There's a hierarchy until the least seat the reason it was a U-shaped table is oftentimes during the dinner when people would be together, there might be some entertainment, maybe singing, maybe dancing, maybe some music. Sometimes when people like the disciples or other scholars would gather together, it might be someone sharing a lecture, reading some scripture, having a time of debate together. A U-shaped table it allows everybody to see one another To see what's happening there. And then Jesus, he does an interesting thing. He gets up. Now Jesus was the host. He was in the host seat. Everyone's paying attention. What is he doing? And he takes off his outer garment. I can imagine the silence that must have been going on as the disciples are wondering, What is is he doing? They had celebrated the Passover before. They knew the ritual. What is he doing? And Jesus gets up and he he takes a towel and he wraps it around himself. And then he takes water and he pours it into a basin And then Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. They were not ready for this. As a matter of fact, it's normally the job of one of the servants to wash feet. Or perhaps the host would simply have water available so when people came in, they could wash their feet. You see, people traveled by walking They would wear sandals on the dusty, dirty roads. And when they would come to someone's home or to their own home, they would stop and wash their feet as they came in. It was the job of a servant, not the host. Surely not the Messiah. Surely not the Christ. Surely not the Son of the living God. Washing feet? It's a humbling act. It's it's one that, that brings you literally to your knees. As a matter of fact, you may remember in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And there was a woman of the city who, the Scripture says, was a sinner, obvious sinner then, since all have sinned. But when she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of ointment. And we're told in Luke 7, 38, she stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Of course, the Pharisee and others... We're not impressed and wondered, does Jesus have any idea who this is that's touching his feet? And turning to the woman, he said in verse 44 Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. That was a, a sacred moment, an, an intimate moment, and Jesus. Jesus takes a towel and he begins to take a knee and wash the disciples' feet one at a time. Now imagine how you would feel just being in the presence of Jesus. But then Jesus takes a towel, takes a knee before you, looks you in the eye, and then begins to wash. Your feet. I can imagine some making eye contact, some afraid to look in the eyes of Jesus. I can imagine some with eyes watering, others I can imagine with tears flowing down their face. What is he doing? What does this mean? Even Judas, as I was reading this scripture, I thought, wonder, wonder what Judas was feeling. Wonder what happened when Jesus and Judas made eye contact. Even Judas was there. And we're told in verse 2 that we read, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. Judas knew that when Jesus took his feet in his hands and was washing them. He took a towel He took a knee and washed the feet of the one who would betray him to the cross. And then there was Peter. Peter, who soon would deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three different times. And and Peter protests, you're not going to wash my feet. And and Jesus said, unless you do, you, you just have no part of me. And Peter is confused. He's, he's resisting. Why? Well, some scholars think maybe it was similar to when Jesus said that he was going to go into Jerusalem and die, and, and, and Peter rebukes Jesus, and then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Maybe again it was Peter misunderstanding. Other scholars know that you had John and Jesus and Judas sitting here and around the U-shaped table at the end, And the least seat was Peter. Maybe Peter was frustrated. If anybody's going to wash feet, it should be me. After all, I'm in the lowest seat. Isn't that the job for the lowest person? Isn't that the job for the lowest person? Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. And he says, then wash me all over. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath, If you've been made clean, it's only your feet. Only your feet. I can imagine as Jesus went around the disciples one by one by one, looking them in the eyes, that He was praying for them. I mean, after all, if you just turn over a couple more chapters to John chapter 17, you will see this beautiful prayer where Jesus is praying for His disciples and for us, the church. I imagine as he was washing the feet, he was praying for each one of them by name. He took a towel, took a knee. What is he doing? What does this mean? And so then if you continue reading in the Scriptures, look back at the beginning of verse 12. After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe... And had returned to the table. He said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you should also do as I've done to you, Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus said he was setting an example for us when he washed the disciples' feet. He's telling us we are called to serve. That's who we are. It's what we're to do. As a matter of fact, in our church, one of our mission statement elements is that we humbly serve in love. That comes from the example of Jesus. I mean, to serve requires humility. Jesus humbles himself in an incredible way. Isn't this a job for the least? Isn't this a job for the servant? And yet, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the very one who gets up, takes a towel, and takes a knee. Serving requires humility. If our service does not have humility, then it's patronizing. As a matter of fact, if you look up in the Oxford languages, patronizing means to treat in a way that is apparently kind or helpful, but that betrays a feeling of superiority. I mean, service without humility looks kind, looks loving, appears that way, but deep down is betrayed by a sense of superiority. That's why I love the scripture in Philippians chapter 2 that tells us to have the mind of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, so he emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, Being born in human likeness, being found in human form, he humbled himself. Service takes humility. It takes one getting up from their place of honor, picking up a towel, taking a knee, To to serve means to to love. To to truly serve, you have to love the people that you're serving. Otherwise, it's ingenuous. It's, It's false. It's fake. It's not real. It's hypocritical, actually. I love the way John opens his testimony about this time in Jesus' life when he talks about Jesus' love. He says in verse 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. To the end. When Jesus gets up and takes a towel and takes a knee, he's kneeling before people that he so loves. Remember, God so loved the world, so loves you and me. So when God sets an example for us of of servanthood, it requires genuine humility. And love. Do I love someone else enough to get up from the seat of honor, take a towel, and take a knee? I'll never forget when I was serving a church in King, North Carolina. It was the Chestnut Grove United Methodist Church, just above King, we decided one night on Holy Thursday, we were going to have a foot washing and the youth group helped me. I had a, a pitcher down of several of them and, and we would just have people come up. We had told them, you know, be ready to, to have bare feet as you come forward. And they would come and hold their foot over the the pit, the pit water and, and I would pour the water over while I was holding their foot in my hand. And, and then I would dry their foot and then the next one would come up and again, clean water and We did the whole congregation. It was one of the most sacred moments for us as a pastor to be able to to kneel down and each one of the congregation would come forward. When I had finished washing all the feet, I stood up and was continuing to talk. And all of a sudden, a member of the church stood up. His name was Alton, Alton Bowen, stood up. And and he started coming forward. Now, Alton was a stout, strong guy. He helped coach the football team for the high school. He had played football for Appalachian State. And he actually became one of my best friends. And I'll never forget it, though. Alton came forward. I mean, I was talking, I was in the middle of wrapping up the service. He has tears flowing down his face. And he took a towel, and he took a knee. And he looked me in the eye and motioned for me to come forward. And he washed my feet. Wow. To serve requires genuine humility and genuine love. Jesus said, I'm I'm actually setting an example for you. If I've done this for you, you should do this for others. I mean, after all, a servant is no greater than their master. So if I, your master, humble myself, love you to the point that I would take a towel and take a knee, then that's the example for you, for me, and for us together as the church. So how do we serve? I mean, how... How do you take a towel and take a knee? To sit at a table with children and share with them about the Bible and how much Jesus Christ loves them, that's taking a towel and taking a knee. To meet some youth at a coffee shop and Just have conversation as they're discerning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to to believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Well, that's, that's taking a towel. That's taking a knee. To join together as a family or an individual and start making sandwiches on a Saturday so that those who are hungry and homeless will have something to eat. That's taking a towel, taking a knee. To sit at a table in Monroe, at our Monroe campus, and help a child with their homework so that they can grow and succeed and be who God is calling them to be, that's taking a towel. It's taking a knee. To become a caring heart and go visit a shut-in who used to be so active in our congregation and help provide the place that we have to worship, the opportunities that we have to serve, who laid the foundation that we continue to build on, to take some time to drop by and say hello, to pick up the phone and just check on them, to let them know they are not forgotten but dearly loved. That is taking a towel. It's taking a knee. To serve a family who's lost a loved one, to provide food for them, to share after they've laid to rest one that they've loved with all their heart, that's taking a towel. That's taking a knee. To build a home for someone who's struggling to find a place to live with their family. It's taking a towel. Taking a knee. There are so many ways that we, the church, can serve. Jesus set the example. It often means getting up from our seat of honor and in genuine love and humility, taking a towel, taking a knee. I invite you in this holy season of Lent to discern what taking a towel and taking a knee looks like for you and for us together as the church. Jesus said, I did this to be an example and to be a disciple is to be an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Take a towel. Take a knee. In the name of and on behalf of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.